Hi everyone, and welcome to my sauntering podcast. My name is Paul White, and I live in a gorgeous place called Weymouth. And this podcast is a collection of saunters that were born in lockdown, but it's also got some additional stuff which is just fresh, hot off the press. praying that you'll be really blessed and that God will speak into your heart as we take this journey together. So please go ahead and hit the subscribe button to keep updated with the very latest sauntering podcasts. And today we are looking at Luke chapter 19. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you and today we are just so thrilled that you love us and as we sit now and just look at your word for a few minutes, we ask you to speak to us, open our hearts up, that this, even if this is familiar territory to us, some of these scriptures, Lord, let them be as fresh as daisy today in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, Fran. Yes, blessings everyone on Pentecost. So it's Pentecost Sunday today, the day we celebrate the Holy Spirit coming on the church with tongues of fire and a mighty roar and wind and everything else. And wow, that was the day the church really became something um, exciting and dramatic and powerful that literally shaped history. And so today is a good day. And the Holy Spirit is still shaping history. He's still empowering people transforming lives the world over and so today may you experience the blessings of Pentecost in your life wherever you are. Good morning Alison and Kathy. great to see you guys. So Luke chapter 19 today <clears throat> and we have this amazing story that we all loved at Sunday school if we went if we went to Sunday school you will almost certainly have heard this story. And he entered Jericho, which is Jesus, and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. And he was a chief, whoops, hold on a second. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking, seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him for he was about to pass that way and when Jesus came to that place he looked up and said to him Zacchaeus hurry and come down for I must stay at your house today so he hurried and came down and received him joyfully let's pause there a second so Zacchaeus he's the chief of tax collectors he's like the arch villain of the local community everybody knew who the little nasty person was who would kind of shuffle around with his fine robes looking all kind of butter wouldn't melt in his mouth and I bet they hissed and spat you know in his direction because he was rich because he'd exploited people and collected more tax from them than he should have done so that he could have a nice lifestyle anyway he is intrigued by the things he's heard about Jesus wants to see him and because he's small there's a big crowd is not working so he runs on ahead he works out there's a route Jesus is going on I'm going to get ahead of him I'm going to climb up in this tree and then I can have a grandstand view of this man everyone's talking about 
But I love that. I love his devotion, his dedication, his passion to see Jesus. Even though he's unpopular, even though he's small, everything's set against him, yet there's this determination. And oh God, that we would see that just breaking out in the pe- in the hearts of people of all levels of society with all whatever reputation they have in the community, just desperate to find out about Jesus, desperate to seek him and find him. And do you know what? People are doing that the world over and it is really, really exciting. And rich men and women, rich, poor people, people of every educational status you can imagine are all craning their necks to find Jesus because they hear and see the things he's doing in their community so it's really really exciting so anyway climbs up into the sycamore tree for the savior he wanted to see and when the savior passed that way this is the such a cool bit and we always used to sing it at Sunday school and when the savior passed that way he looked into the tree and said Zacchaeus and we would all shout Zacchaeus you come down and so, but Zacchaeus, really interesting. Jesus, look, <laughs> he knows he's there. He's rustling him around in the sycamore tree. And Jesus calls him by name. Don't you just love that? Now, Zacchaeus means pure. Ah, what a great name. So Jesus is <laughs> overlooking all of his reputation in the community. And he's calling him as God calls him, he's calling him by name and he's seeing that prophetic destiny of Zacchaeus. He's seeing that even in this fallen nature, this kind of avaricious, greedy, grasping kind of lifestyle that Zacchaeus has been relentlessly pursuing throughout his life, there is something that God wants to redeem and kind of not recycle but absolutely repurpose recommission he wants to redeem that man whose name means pure and he wants him to become a servant of the gospel come on let's read on and so he hurried and came down and received him joyfully verse 7 and when they saw it that's the crowd everybody who's there all the hangers on all the kind of running commentary people They all grumbled. He's gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. So if I have fraudulated, (laughs) if I have defrauded anybody, I'm going to give it back four times over. So they're not, this is called repentance. This is where our heart has become convicted just by the presence of Jesus in our house that the lifestyle that we've been living is wrong and so it's not just enough to stop doing it but we actually want to go overboard in making amends it's not that that's paying for it but it does show an incredible change of heart doesn't it and so we love to see that and Jesus said to him today salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham. And he's saying, this guy actually believes. Come on, give him some slack, guys. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. If you have not got that underlined in your Bible, that is one to underline. That is a fridge magnet text right there, going back to our original (laughs) song to when we talked about fridge magnet text. This is one to stick on your fridge. The Son of Man 
came to seek and to save the lost. He didn't come to congratulate the religious and the smug. He came to seek and save the lost. So good. Whoa. And as they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable because he was near Jerusalem. So Jesus is en route to Jerusalem. He's got one thing in mind, really, and that is his upcoming trial and crucifixion and betrayal and everything else. But he tells his story um, because they supposed the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. Verse 12, he said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten miners and said to them, engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. Good morning, Aaron. Good morning, Rosemary. Yeah, well done, Kathy. And they say, we don't want this man to rule over us. So they didn't like him. And verse 15, when he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him that he might know what they had gained by doing business. The first came before him saying, Lord, your miner has made 10 miners more. And he said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. Because you have been faithful in a very little, you shall have authority over 10 cities. I just want to pause it there for a second. So, right, Jesus is telling a parable. He's not saying, this is me, I'm exactly like this, but he's telling a parable. He's telling a story to make a point. And the point is really, really interesting because we've got other versions of this story, which he probably told on different occasions to make a slightly different point. But and we know of the story of the parable of the talents, don't we? But this one is 10 miners. Um, and so he gives a miner, which is about three months wages, to 10 of his servants. Or And the word there for servants is bond slave. They're literally bond slaves. They don't have any freedom at all. But he's given them money. He's given them like three months wages and saying, right, see what you can do with this. Engage in business until I return. And uh, do you know what? I believe the Lord has told the church to engage in business, engage in the business of the kingdom, but engage in gainful work and profitable work and so on until I return. There's a business to be done, the business of the kingdom. But this, this, is, this is purely financial Jesus is talking about here, and this is really interesting. So he's given this money out to people who are normally bond slaves. They just do as they're told. They have no discretion over their day it's entirely mapped out for them they have no freedom but now he's saying right let's see what's in you i'm giving you a minor i'm giving you three months wages of a laborer not just a servant so this is you're moving up in the world if you can see it but bear in mind that this route this nobleman wasn't particularly universally liked so people thought he was i don't know obnoxious or something they didn't like him and some had actually protested against his rulership of their city. And they said, we don't even want him to be our ruler. We want somebody else. Anyway, so then they, he comes back, says to the servants, the ten servants, how did it go? One comes and says, do you know what? Here's that miner you gave me. And look, I've earned ten more with it and hands it back to the master. 
And he said to him, well done, good and faithful servant, because you have been faithful in a very little. You shall have authority over ten cities. Wow, this is a huge, huge, huge promotion. This is a huge margin of uh, multiplication. He had three months wages. He's converted it into, um, he's invested that money and made it into 30 um, months wages, I guess. Um, multiplied it by a factor of 10. And now the master is saying, listen, you can be in charge of 10 cities. So in one go, well, two goes, one small go and one big go, jump, if you like, one small jump and one big jump, he gets entrusted with a small bit of responsibility, three months wages, invest it, do business. Now he's been put in charge of 10 cities. Wow. I think the people who didn't like the ruler didn't really understand him, didn't really get what he was all about. And he was looking into the hearts of these, these guys who he calls and gives this money to and looking for character and looking for something else. And they're thinking, oh, he's just tight. He's just trying to improve. He just wants more money, more money, more money. That's all he's about. Right, here we go. So he says, you're going to have authority over 10 cities. And the second came, verse 18, and saying, Lord, your miner has made five miners. And he said to him, you are to be over five cities. Then another came saying, Lord, here is your miner, which I laid away in a handkerchief. Put it in a handkerchief. Good move. <laughs> a sound investment. <laughs> right. Don't accept financial advice from this guy. Wrap it in a handkerchief. Everybody knows that's silly. Right. Especially when you want to blow your nose. There goes your money. Right. Anyway, so he wraps it in a handkerchief. Verse 21. For I was afraid of you because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit. You reap what you did not sow. And he said to him, that's the master, said to the servant, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew I was a severe man or austere, a kind of tough, kind of demanding guy, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money, my money, in the bank? And at my coming, I might have collected it with interest. And he said to those who stood by, take the miner from him, give it to the one who has 10 miners. And they're like, whoa. And they said to him, Lord, he has 10 miners. I tell you that to everyone who has more will be given, but from the one who has not even what he has will be taken away. But as for these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. Ah, oh, Jesus, why do you have to spoil the story by talking about slaughtering people at the end? Oh, this is severe, isn't it? This is kind of tough. But Jesus is making a point. He's saying, listen, I'm entrusting you with something to do. I am giving you a great responsibility. And, and if you're faithful in it, even though it looks like a small thing, I'm elevating you from being a slave to being a business person. And then now I'm going to actually, my secret plan is that I want to share all of my wealth with you. I want to really, really, really bless you and give you huge responsibility. Now we can only speculate as to what that 
actually means when Jesus says 10 cities? Does it mean geographical territory in this life? Is Does that kind of parallel follow through? But what the principle here is, what Jesus was saying before in a previous chapter, he was saying, if you're faithful with small things, God will entrust you with big things. And so I think sometimes we look at our um, monopoly board, if you like, and it's like we've landed on Old Kent Road and we've bought Whitechapel. So we think, well, I might as well buy it. It's not worth anything. The brown ones, what are they worth? But I'll buy them anyway. But Jesus is saying, right, where you are, let's see what you can do with what I've given you. I've given you 10. I've given you a minor. Let's say you haven't even got a talent. I've given you a minor. What are you going to do with it? How faithful are you going to be with it? Good morning, Tom. And good morning, Pete. And morning, Pat and Mike. So what are you going to do with this thing that God's given you? I haven't even got a house. I've got a bedsit. Right. What are you going to do with your bedsit? that you rent is not even yours. Well, how about inviting people round? How about making it a place of prayer? How about, I don't know, a thousand things? And we we sometimes think, oh, I can't do anything. I can't do anything until I'm famous. I can't do anything until I've got this platform. I can't do anything, blah, blah, blah. And Jesus is saying, listen, invest that miner. It's my miner. I've given it to you. Invest it. Let's see what you can do. Let's see how the kingdom of God can be advanced through your one miner. Come on. So, right, here we go. So, <clears throat> but there is a reckoning, and I think that's the point. There is a reckoning. So, the people misunderstood the nature of the ruler. They misunderstood him, and people misunderstand the heart of God. They think his demands are onerous and difficult. He's asking for more than is legitimate to ask for. Secondly, <clears throat> he wants to take, even in giving us his Holy Spirit and giving us what he has given us, he's elevated us from being a slave to an entrepreneur or an investor. And now he's saying, Do you know what? If you're faithful with that, I will give you territory. I'll give you influence or whatever it is do you know what i mean so anyway awesome verse 28 and when he had said these things he went on ahead going up to jerusalem when he drew near to bethphage or phage bethphage i don't know how you pronounce that and bethany at the mount that is called olivet he sent two of the disciples saying go into the village in front of you where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat untie it Bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this. The Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away, so those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the coat, its owner, coat, <laughs> coat, its owner said to them, why are you untying the coat? And they said, the Lord has need of it. I love that. Right, so Jesus is moving, he's operating in the word of knowledge. He's saying, you're going to go to this place. I don't think he's been there and set it all up. I just think he's saying, right, you're going to go to this place. I've set it up. There's going to, you're going to find, you know, like it's already, he hasn't been there physically and set it up, but he set it up in the spirit, if you like. So this event, he's just determined that it's going to happen. And because he's in control of these things, he can do it. And so... They're going to go to this place where they've not been before. 
recently and there's going to be a donkey with a colt tied beside it, a young one that no one's ever ridden on. It's very specific and it, you're to pick, bring it to me. I need it. And if anyone asks you, say the Lord needs it. That's really interesting because Jesus doesn't need anything. And yet at this point, he's a human being. He's living as a human being and fully human, fully divine. And so he has needs. He gets hungry. He needs to eat. Otherwise, he'll die. He needs oxygen. Otherwise, he'll suffocate. Do you know what I mean? And so he needs, for the next part of his plan, he needs this colt, this young donkey that's never been ridden on. And so, <coughs> excuse me, for this short period, God has needs. Jesus has needs. That's incredible, isn't it? It's almost heretical to say that God needs something from us. Verse 35, and they brought it to Jesus and throwing their coats on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. So I, I love it. It's just, anyway, supernatural knowledge that this cult's going to be there and supernatural um, kind of making a way that these people who own the cult aren't indignant and refuse permission, but they actually say, sure. And so they threw the coat cloaks on the colt and they set Jesus on it. Verse 36, and as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near... Already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. They're getting excited now because they think, wow, this is it. This is it. This is the culmination of everything. Jesus is finally doing the stuff that we're excited about. But he's done all these miracles. We can praise him easily because we've seen the miracles. We've seen his wonderful power at work. And now it seems as if everything's coming together in the right way. And the king is coming. And this whole multitude begin to rejoice. They throw their cloaks on the ground. They get palm branches, don't they? And they wave and they get excited. And they're singing glory to God in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. I love it. If these were silent, the very stones would cry out. It's, <laughs> Jesus is saying, pointless me trying to stop them. This is a good day. This is a day to celebrate. And actually, even the rocks will cry out if these guys stop. Verse 41, and when they drew near and saw the city... He wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. And Jesus is like broken hearted over the city of Jerusalem. He's looking at it and he's saying, oh, do you know what? Even though you've got this terrible, terrible reputation of being the place where the prophets meet their end, where you've slain the prophets, he says in Luke 13, doesn't he? Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who slay the prophets. 
and he says it's, it's only right that I should die here but there's still nonetheless knowing that they're going to kill him he's still broken hearted and he weeps and it's not just oh shed a little tear oh that was quite an emotional moment oh you know but actually he's weeping and wailing like they do at a funeral this is passionate Jesus broken hearted he's a Jew Jerusalem had massive significance and still does for the Jewish people and he's broken hearted that somehow this city which means city of peace would miss out on the prince of peace who's literally at the very gate and he prophesies this awful prophecy that they're going to build barricades up and they're going to destroy the city and the children and the parent mums and everybody are all going to perish together. And of course that very thing happened exactly as Jesus prophesied it. The historian Josephus records it and it's just awful, awful reading. If you haven't read any of Josephus, you can find some some of these references they're really really interesting and very very sad and so he's heartbroken verse 45 and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold saying to them it is written my house shall be a house of prayer but you have made it a den of robbers so he is turfing them out they're trading he's done this before he's doing it again and he's come into Jerusalem. The glory of God has finally come and filled the temple. The prayer that the old prophets prayed and the prophecies, the glory of the latter house would be greater than the glory of the former house. This is the glory of God. This is the glory of God condensed into one human being. And he has now entered the temple and is saying this is judgment time. You cannot do this in this place. I'm expelling you from this place. But of course, we know that history tells us that the minute Jesus left, they went straight back on and did the same thing. Verse 47, and he was teaching daily in the temple. The chief priests and the scribes and the principal men of the people were seeking to destroy him, but they did not find anything they could do for all the people were hanging on his words. Don't you love that? Jesus, you are our champion. We love you. We celebrate you today. Holy Spirit, come. Oh, God. Hey. Holy Spirit, come into every home, every heart. Everyone who will pick up this and listen to it. Holy Spirit, come. Let the risen, glorified Jesus become the name that everybody's talking about in Weymouth, in Dorset, in England, United Kingdom, the whole world. Amen. I am super excited to be able to recommend to you my book, The Christing. It's a whole adventure of digging deep into the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, exploring stories that may be familiar to us, but just seeing how the power and the beautiful, rich treasure of the Holy Spirit is there on every single page. And my desire as I share my own stories is that we would get caught up in that adventure together of a life pursuing the supernatural God where anything becomes possible when we're full of his Holy Spirit.
and so my prayer for you as you read this book is that you'll get excited to embark on your own voyage of discovery with him but more than anything else that you would fall more in love with Jesus so please if you have not got a copy do buy one you can get it online on all the major um, online bookstores including Amazon, Eden and others you can buy it from Christian bookshops or you can message me and get your own signed copy there you go but do like it and review it because that really really does help thank you so much